Welcome back to the 224th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including how Donald Trump is planning to reshape the RNC and his image, how the RNC is dealing with some funding issues, as well as a throwback ad during the Super Bowl for RFK, and how I do agree with a lot of the pundits that it was actually a very smart move. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So for a while, there's been talk about Trump reshaping the party, changing the cultural norms, changing the voter base. But now we're actually seeing him go into the systems that pre-existed him, the party systems, and actually, you know, exerting his influence a lot more. I mean, Ronald McDonald was part of his influence, but now he's he's putting forward uh, three uh, nominations. It's not necessarily him putting them forward, but he is uh, actually backing them. He's throwing his support behind them. He's endorsing them. And this could be a, a major change for the future of the RNC. And not to say that they're all Trump loyalists. And what I mean by that is, oh, once Trump is gone, they're going to not care. But some of them are more Trump loyalists than others. And um, I think, you know, Las Vitas, which we'll get into here in the article, uh, he is a through and through Republican strategist, analyst, uh, operator. So I don't necessarily think he is solely loyal to President Trump, but he definitely is operating under his guise right now in the campaign sphere. So I think it's going to be interesting, and I want to hear your guys' opinions about whether or not he's truly going to be able to take over the RNC, and is it going to be a good or a bad thing? So, let's jump to our first article that comes from Fox News. And the headline reads, Trump endorses new RNC chair, announces daughter-in-law's run for vice chair. So yes, you did hear that correctly. He is going to put up, or put his backing behind his daughter-in-law to be the vice chair. Las Vitas, like I mentioned, is going to be running for the uh, chief operator. And then there is the uh, gentleman from North Carolina, Mr. Waltney, to be the new chair of the RNC. And this is all coming after the reports that Ronna McDaniel is probably going to step down that she doesn't necessarily have the backing of Trump anymore. Well, that's not necessarily 100% accurate. He says, oh, yeah, she's, she's done good while she's been there, but uh, it might be time to reevaluate things. Uh, there's one particular quote here where he doesn't necessarily slam her, uh, but it, it definitely, and when I say definitely, you, you can tell if you know Trump when you read something, uh, that he's not necessarily 100% behind her, and it doesn't look good for her. Let's put it that way. He said, quote, I think she did okay initially <laughs> in the RNC. I would say right now there'll probably be some changes made, he added. So, yeah, no, uh, he's he's trying to be political about it, which is good. I guess he's not being brash like he he normally would be, but at, at the end of the day, you know, if you know politics, if you even know Trump, you're reading straight through that. You're like, oh, okay. He does not like Ronna McDaniel right now. He thinks that she has served her purpose and he, she can no longer serve him, so she is going to move out. 
So let's go to one of the first quotes from the article so we can start to detail what's going on, the inner workings of this uh, RNC battle right now. Quote, as he moves closer to locking up the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, Trump has increasingly been pushing to exert control and install loyalists at the National Party committees. And last week, Trump recommended Waltley replace longtime RNC chair Ronna McDaniel after this month's North excuse me, South Carolina Republican presidential primary. A source familiar with the change told Fox News Digital at the time that Trump was pushing for Waldley to replace McDaniel because he was, quote, so powerful on election fraud in 2020. On Monday, Trump officially announced that he believes Waldley, who currently serves as the National Party's committee general counsel, should be the RNC's next leader. And to be honest, I don't necessarily know the most about Waltley. Uh, I've heard the little rumblings here and there that he's done an okay job in South Carolina coming from Trump and some of the other actors that he has represented, you know, companies like the Daily Wire when they were pushing back against the OSHA vax mandate and took it to the Supreme Court. So he has been very involved in the, the movement, most definitely. But like the quote, very obviously outlines Trump really likes him because he was with him on 2020. And this is Trump really putting his thumb on the scales and trying to make sure that there will be no dissent from the RNC, there'll be no pushback. And you know why we know this is true and why he's definitely, among other reasons, pulled support from Ronna McDaniel? It's because she allowed for the, and I say allowed, the RNC in general, under her leadership, allowed debates to go on, even though Pro- President Trump said he had this on lock, there are no, there's no need for other debates, and there's no need to have other potential nominees because I'm going to win a, the primary hands down. He ended up being right. He ended up, and yes, I do understand, Nikki Haley is still in the race. Uh, as I said last Friday, uh, Nikki Haley, it's time to say goodbye. It's time to say bye-bye because you're not winning. Unless Trump gets thrown away into jail, and even then, I don't even know. I think the reason the language of suspending my candidacy is always so important is because they could jump right back in if Trump is off the ballot and he can no longer be the nominee for the Republican Party. So I think other people would jump back in. It would be a real horse race again. I don't even think Nikki would have it cinched in that situation. Let's be clear, very, very unlikely to happen. But my point being that no, she, she's not even really a form of competition. The only reason she gets any attention now is because she's the only other one in there besides uh, Blinkley, I believe is his, his name, who was running in Iowa and was also on the uh, Nevada ballot. So no, we're, we need to put this past, we need to put this idea past us that Nikki Haley is any serious challenge. So Trump was right. Trump was 100% on point when he said the primary was practically over, maybe in the beginning there was a little bit more contention, but as things came to debate time, he was he was saying, no, I, I don't need to attend. And that's what made him frustrated that Ronald McDaniel keep, kept having more debates and kept entertaining the idea of somebody else being the nominee when he thought that he not only had the right to it, but also that there wasn't really much of a challenge anyway. So even if he didn't have the right to it, He's just sitting there like, really, guys, are, guys, are, guys, are we doing this? Really? Uh, can we just funnel the money to me? I have uh, legal bills to pay, please. And yes, I know I went a little uh, silly there towards the end of the Trump quote, but I think it is true. And I think there's a little bit of hostility there. 
And he doesn't want to necessarily say, oh, she was the worst, because he's done this before in the past with some of his nominees, and people always question him, well, then why did you, you know, actually put those nominees into the positions they were in? You know, you wanted loyal people. You said that they were the best, and then, well, turns out they're the worst. They betrayed you. They are making comments about you. So I don't think he wants to make a political enemy of Ronald McDaniel, and I also don't think he wants the blowback of, oh, yeah, no, she's the worst. She needs to be gone. And Mr. Trump, uh, didn't you actually help her get into that position at the RNC? Well, I didn't know that she was going to be so unloyal at that time. So I, I think he's just trying to avoid those awkward sort of comments. So the one that I think is really, really interesting beyond his uh, daughter-in-law going for vice chair is actually La Civita. And that's because I've heard lots of talk about La Civita being a very savvy political actor over the last few months as the Trump campaign has been rolling. And I think that this is a position that he's going for that could really suit his skills in that he's you know the on-the-ground kind of guy. He's not dealing with the donor acquisitions. He's doing what he can with the money rather than worrying about where the money's going to come from, which is what the chair is most likely to be worried about because, you know, they have to worry about the grand picture. But La Civita is going for the main operator. And I think that this could set a new precedent going forward because of his savvy, ruthless nature that could possibly help the the Republicans out versus the Democrats over the next few election cycles, especially when you've seen how he's handled this campaign with Trump. Whether or not you like it, he's done a pretty darn good job building out the infrastructure on the ground and keeping everybody on message and on point. So there's one quote talking about La Civita going into the position. Quote, the third position Trump hopes to have influence on within the committee is the chief operating officer. He'd like to see veteran Republican strategist Chris La Civita, who's a top advisor in Trump's 2024 campaign, in that role. Quote, Chris will manage the RNC's day-to-day operations, so will become a fighting machine for 2024 and use all the tools available to win for the American people, Trump said, end quote. And that's the part I was talking about where he's not worried about how much money is actually coming in. What I mean by that is he does care, obviously, but he's not worried about how much extra money he can bring in. He's just sitting there saying, okay, now that I have the money, what's the strategy to use it and how to use it most effectively? And like I said... I think he's a killer. I think he, and I don't mean that in a bad way, and I don't mean that as an accusation. I mean that he is a political killer. He is going to get the job done, and he is going to make sure that things come out in the RNC's favor, at least in an optimal world. Of course, you can't control for all the variables, and sometimes it doesn't go exactly how you want, but I think he's a very savvy, savvy operator. So when I was reading through that one, I was like, okay, we got a few different... uh, few different contenders going in here to fight it out that are all Trump-backed. So even if one doesn't actually get the nomination, then the other two can still exert some sort of pro-Trump influence there. I think the least likely to fail is going to be his uh, daughter-in-law, Miss Laura, mainly because she has some political uh, experience. But I think at the end of the day, uh, Waltley and La Civita, they have a longer track record, so they'll definitely be able to leverage that in order to get the position. So what about the second article? And this one comes from PolitiZoom. The headline reads, 
the RNC's fundraising debacle is even worse than I thought. And you're thinking, wait, hold on, are we just, you know, trying to hate on the RNC or analyze it? Which, yes, we are. But this kind of goes tandem with what we were just talking about because the RNC has been dealing with lowering amounts of fundraising. And McDaniel has been doing her job the best she can in order to bring in more money. At least that's what uh, she and everybody who support her say. And people from the outside are looking at the RNC. They're like, oh, I don't, I don't know how this is. Also, the, don't get me wrong, also the DNC. There's no doubt that the DNC is not doing as well. But you start looking at some of the breakdown of costs and where they're spending their money, and the RNC is like, oh, okay, you're spending this much on flowers? You're spending this much on taxes? I thought I was listening to something the other day. I think it was uh, Breaking Points. And I was like, wow, really? You're spending that much money on flower arrangements? That just seems a little bit peculiar. And when you're not making as much money, when you're not bringing it in, when you're having fundraising issues, uh, that stacks on top of one another. And the fact that they are trying to put savvy operators in there, especially La Savita and Wally, and trying to kind of lean down. If you're going into, the, right now, the RNC is going into the ring at a, an okay 200 like they're they're pretty they're pretty buff, you know, but they got a little bit of extra water weight. This new RNC would be a leaner, you know, one ninety five, one ninety, uh, and yet if you don't have the the food to fuel the body, and you go in with practically nothing in the tank, then you're gonna get your butt whooped, no matter how efficient or how much less weight you have to deal with. Uh, yeah, I know that uh, analogy kind of fell apart a little bit. But my point being, no matter how good you are at your job of using the money you get, if you don't have money, then you can't do anything. So this article is from an author who's very, very sarcastic. So I'll read from the first two paragraphs so you can kind of get an idea of where they come from, the language that they use. So then when we go into some other quotes later on, you are at least uh, not taken aback. Let's put it that way. Quote it, take it from me, my, my kitties. This is not going to be a happy ending for the GOP. I've written previously about how Trump was sucking the RNC dry, but this is even worse than I had thought. For the last several cycles now, ever since 2016 at least, the standard wisdom is that it takes at least $100 million to run a presidential campaign. The problem is that that number is the minimum for a presidential campaign. But underneath that are U.S. Senate seats, U.S. House seats, and statewide legislative and statewide seats like governor. The point is that the presidential campaign are supposed to be self-sustaining. And that is not how it's really been working here for a while. They're the headliners, the, the presidential campaigns, and their PACs, or the top dogs and their PACs, are taking a lot of the small dollar donations that could be going to the RNC. When, you know, at the end of the day, some people do, do still give big donations to the RNC, which is one way that they keep their money flowing. But all those small dollar donors that used to say, OK, hey, I believe in the RNC. I believe in the system. I believe in the Republican Party as a whole. We're going to give our money there. So no matter who comes out, whether I love them or don't like them the most, at least they can get a Republican up there with the same values. Well, guess what? Now, they are saying, hey, no, actually, we don't want to do this as a general movement. We don't have to give money to the RNC anymore for 
Republican to get in there, we can actually give it to individual candidates to really boost them up and let things be a little bit more independent of the party system. In this new era of small-dollar donations, which has been enabled by new types of technologies, but also just the rise of more populist candidates who want to go outside the RNC system anyway, they don't want to have to deal with them, uh, that is making it so that the people can go to, directly to them, but then the party apparatchiks, the party apparandis, apparandi, I believe is the proper way to actually say that, uh, they don't have to necessarily, how should I put it, they don't have to go through them. They don't have to enable the BS that they don't necessarily believe in. And when I say they, I mean the voters. They can say, no, 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 Bernie Sanders, you speak to me. And the DNC is not going to get let you bring your current policies in. They're going to try to moderate you for the rest of the party. So no, we're just going to give it straight to you. Or Trump, no, you're a little bit more liberal on Social Security and Medicare than we would really like a conservative Republican to be. So we're going to try to restrain you from winning. And people just went around him and said, no, we're going to give our money straight to Trump. So when the author says that Trump has been draining the RNC and running them dry, yeah, I think every single type of analyst can 100% agree with that. If you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat, no matter how much you like Trump, you're, I don't think you can deny that money has been funneled to him that previously would have gone to the RNC. The, the tricky thing about it is that money is not just being spent on the election, but it is also being spent on his legal bills. And yes, I understand you could make an argument that, well, if he has to deal with these lawsuits and he can't actually pay for good lawyers, then he couldn't run to be president anyway. So actually, it is kind of facilitating his campaign. But at the end of the day, do you really think his voters want to give him money? They want to give him money to fight off these legal claims. Some people do, but some people really don't. They just want to see it used for great uh, events so they can go to those and they can see him in person or they can get funny memes out of it online. Like I know that sounds really stupid, but if you're looking at it as the non-serious way where they really believe in Donald Trump, they want him to fight for America, and they're willing to pay his legal bills. A lot of people know just like his policies, like the way that he treats the media, and are okay giving him a little bit of money if it goes into the Trump machine to keep him going and keep him mocking the current system as it is. And the reason I, I say this is so true is because... I think if you set up a separate fund, not necessarily a PAC, but a separate legal defense fund, you could probably siphon off about 25% of that money that's going to any of his PACs, any of his small dollar donation websites, or any of those drives that happen for him. And th those people would be completely okay with it because they see, hey, it's a completely independent website where we are paying for his legal services. But if you just siphon it off and you don't tell everybody or not everybody's fully aware of that, it can be a little bit disingenuous. So that's why it is frustrating to some people who genuinely look at the situation or asking the question, why is he allowed to use that money that people are sending in for his election on his legal bills, especially when that money could still go to getting him into the presidency but only be funneled through the RNC. And the RNC and the DNC, they have lost a lot of control over the election process. And, you know, let's be clear, they still set a lot of dates. The DNC kind of, you know, dropped its hammer, so to speak, on the table the other, what, it would have been five, six months ago, seven months ago when they changed the rules and made South Carolina the first primary, and then you had the whole New Hampshire debacle. So I'm not saying they don't have any power. I'm not saying they don't have any influence, but... 
their influence is most definitely waning. And the main thing that made them powerful was the fact that they are a pool of money for everybody who wants a candidate of a particular political assuasion. And now that they are not the center point of the party, uh, they're kind of becoming irrelevant, so to speak. And I think the author summarizes this pretty darn well in one of the paragraphs about halfway through the article. Sometimes it's money and sometimes it's not. Sometimes a promising candidate may lack a ground game to get out the vote. It's the RNC that dispatches not money, but educated manpower to try to help the candidate get door knockers, phone bankers, and sometimes cash from mailers and text bankers. So the money that goes into the RNC actually facilitates more experienced actors to go out there and have their network, their pre-existing infrastructure, do the work for the candidate and be able to pay these people so that they stay on with all of their experience. Versus if you're sending it to someone like Trump, let's be clear, now it's different because he's had two elections before this to build out his network. He has his contacts. He has his call sheet. So he's already built out a little bit of a network. But if you're talking like somebody, uh, not even Ron DeSantis, because he had a little bit of backing, but let's just say someone like J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance has a little bit of a network in Ohio. He has some understanding. He has his loyals that will go out there to the door. But on a national scale, he hasn't built up that mailer list of people who are willing to donate to him. He doesn't have the previous examples of what he did and what the other parties that were in that election did in order to get out vote, in order to mobilize the people. He doesn't have all that experience and the previous attempts at running for president where he's built out that very loyal base in these different localities in order to operate for him. And that's what the RNC used to be. The RNC used to be these loyal people who care about the party over specific politicians, and they could use the money that was funneled toward them in order to get all of these people out to mobilize in order to get that one candidate who was who won out the primaries in order to win these elections. And now, since Trump has actually done this two times before. He has that network. He doesn't necessarily need the RNC, but it could be very, very detrimental in the future if people get so used to donating directly to the candidate and it's not a Trump candidate. It's not a Trump candidate that can rely truly on his network because I think you could make an argument that J.D. Vance could tap into the Trump network and the existing contacts, but it's not going to be as 100% efficient. So if Trump would get out... 90,000 people across the entire nation that are willing to work in his network, J.D. Vance maybe get like 80% of, 80,000 of them. Uh, if, you know, it's really, if it's a really good day, even if he gets Trump endorsement. So that's why the RNC was important because you have your loyals, you have your pre-existings, the one who just battle for it no matter what. And that's what that money went to. The hard-lined, experienced veterans that can get any candidate nominated. And that's what we're lacking nowadays when the money doesn't necessarily go to the parties. You lose those uh, overarching politically savvy actors and you get these more independent systems that still rely on these actors. I mean, Las Vitas, like I've mentioned a few times, I think I've said this word savvy about a million times during this podcast, but he is a ruthless actor in the sphere of Republican politics and politics in general. And he was hired on by Trump in order to run things. And imagine you have not necessarily 10 exactly the same as Las Avitas in the RNC, but you have 10 people who are very similar to Las Avita 
and who are able to do this job professionally. Now they're not getting the funding they need. And La Civita is actually saying, okay, hey, instead of saying with the RNC, how about I just peel you off and you come work for Trump? And that works great for Trump now, but will that work for the RNC in the long run? I don't know. And to be honest, the collapse of the RNC and the DNC and their really centralized uh, power structures, I don't know if it would look good for American politics. I think it would make things very hectic. And as a person who doesn't necessarily like hectic things in, I don't want to say in general, but for the most part, I like things organized and I've grown up with it a certain way. Uh, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't want to see him destroy it. But also the part of me that wants to truly disrupt the two-party system is very intrigued to see this happen. And when populism started to rise, before it became popularism, which I did a, a, wrote a little essay about, and maybe I'll have that up a, as a blog post at some point, but before it became popularism and it was populism, I was very intrigued and very encouraged by this part of the movement. And now we've seen this come to its own fruition. So it's a very interesting one. I didn't quote as many times from that article as I wanted to, but I think the author's a little glib and cheeky, and uh, while it can be funny, it can also distract from the point. So let's jump to our final article that comes from Salon, and the headline reads, Love the R the throwback stuff. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Super Bowl ad mimics John F. Kennedy's 1960s ad. And this was brilliant. This was really, really brilliant. And the reason I say this, okay, so... Ben Shapiro and Crystal Ball, and I don't know if I actually heard uh, Mr. Uh, Dave Smith do any commentary about it, but I've heard lots of different little clips, and lots of people love it, lots of people didn't love it. I did look at Twitter. I don't normally look at Twitter, but during the game, I saw the ad, and I was like, okay, I have to see what people are saying on Twitter. So many people were doing little vomit emojis. They weren't cool with it, and there are other people that really loved it. And the reason that I thought it was extremely, extremely smart is because it is a throwback ad to a time when a lot of boomers and even some Gen Xers could actually look at it. So not necessarily saying that Gen Xers can look at it and say, oh, yeah, I remember that. But definitely some boomers, uh, definitely my parents' generation, they were at least alive for it, or it was at least talked about in the popular culture. Just like how we still talk about some of Obama's speeches, this is something that took advantage of the medium. If they're even close to involved in politics, they've probably heard analysis breaking down this classic ad. And let's be clear, I hadn't seen it before this. I have gone back and watched the original. And the reason I think this is important is because it can play on the nostalgia of those people who didn't even know that RFK Jr. is running a campaign, or at least seriously thought that he was still doing it as an independent ever since he dropped out of the Democratic primary. And if you're going to do it, do it at the Super Bowl when every single normie is paying attention and they see the word independent. I do agree with that point from Ben Shapiro. But why I thought it was really important is because there's the nostalgia factor. And the nostalgia factor is going to work on the exact demographic that RFK is not reaching, RFK Jr., is not reaching right now, which is the older generation. The young generation like myself, I'm not saying everybody in our generation even knows that RFK is running, but there's definitely memes about it. A lot of people, I would argue 50% of people in my generation 
know what is going on with RFK if they are above the age of high school. And I would say 75% of people at least know who RFK is or at least know something about him. And of the politically engaged, I would say 100% know exactly what's going on with RFK and where he's located or at least they have their theories about what he's going how he's going to affect the election and so on and so forth and we all know we're online we understand that's where he's been spending a lot of his time on the podcasts trying to get out there he's been on mainstream media every once in a while but he's really been appealing to the young generation and now when the super bowl is something that still appeals to young people but also appeals a lot more broadly and then playing on this nostalgia factor as well this is a shot across the bow to Biden and Trump's base, which are the older generations. And yes, I understand Biden's a little bit younger on average than the Trump's is. But he's trying to say, hey, I'm not just a campaign for the young. I'm not just a Bernie Sanders here in disguise. I am actually going to come for your voters too because I feel as though my message as an independent will resonate with the people that are fed up with the two-party system. So I thought it was a brilliant strategic move. Did I think the ad was the best in the world? Um, no, it brought up the idea of old-fashioned ads that don't have to be too complicated, over-the-top, got its message across very quickly, relatively catchy tune. But like I said, for a Super Bowl commercial, is it the one that sticks in my memory the most? If I wasn't a person who does this podcast and is kind of a political junkie, then I would say no, it wouldn't. But, you know, because I am a political junkie, it did. So, hey, good on him good idea and whoever on his media team decided to do that they need to get paid a little bit extra bonus so let's jump to our final article which is our daily delight this one comes from parade pets deaf dog sweetly teaches children how to hear with their hearts and yes i know it seems very peculiar no doubt the headline uh, but I want to read just one paragraph, and then I'm going to suggest that you go and see this video itself because it is absolutely adorable. Quote, Therefore, one teacher and his deaf dog have made it their mission to show kids the importance of being kind and listening with their hearts. Their latest invention has a unique way of doing that, and it's as cute as it gets. So, if you want to see this cute video or you want to read any of today's articles, there's a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, as well as Podvine, and the Twitter handle, at Your Daily Flip, where I post a Twitter tirade every Tuesday and Thursday. The one that came out yesterday was about space travel, and the one that's coming out tomorrow, well, I haven't actually recorded it yet, so we will see. Thank you for joining me, and with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.